Hello and welcome to episode number 98 of the Easy Beachy Team podcast. Hi Georgia, how are you? Hello, I'm very good, thank you. How are you guys? Good, I'm very good, thank you. How are you, Anna? I am also well, thank you. <laughs> oh God, you're great all round today. I'm impressed. I'm just, I was just saying before we started recording, I just had my first therapy session back and I feel like I've just, I feel like someone has come into my body shaken up all of my organs shaken up my brain squeezed out all of my water from my eyes and then left me and now I'm like oh I don't really know how I feel anymore but it's a snow globe kind of thing so yeah it's kind of like that but it it's it's always an interesting one after it I've not been in a while but I always think I know you guys have had your own experience with it but I always it's like an immediate kind of pull off the plaster effect although you're exhausted it's almost like you're immediately things feel immediately clearer even if the session left you feeling like things are all over the place and dug up some things you immediately feel like okay I feel a little bit more clear do you get that when when you've been yeah like relief you can finally just like one big exhale yeah it's so good isn't it and great like I cry on my drive to therapy because I'm already aware of how much relief I'm going to have. And the closer I get, the more watery my eyes are. And I'm like, come on, concentrate. You've got to drive. And then I pull myself together, go in. I'm like, all right, I'm ready. (laughs) It's funny, isn't it? And they're like, why are you crying? You're like, I don't even know why. It's just like, it's almost sometimes the the anticipation of Mm. knowing what you're going to vocalize or not knowing what you're going to vocalize. It's the fear of thinking, what's going to come out of my mouth when I'm totally vulnerable? What's going to come out? And that alone is terrifying enough to make you emotional. It's just so many emotions. It's a lot. And then yesterday I did yoga for the first time in weeks. And then it was so hard that I lay on the mat afterwards in Shavasana. And it felt like I'd had like this heavy, brutal, like sports massage. And I just lay there like, sat there thinking, thanks body for not dying because it was like at 10 30 in the morning in edinburgh which basically means everyone that was there were like dancers or dance students or whatever so i was sat at the back unable to touch my toes and these people were like flipping around and everything i was trying not to fail and at the end of it i was so grateful that i had only to total arse of myself at the back of the room with all of these really big <laughs> people just decided these are the things that we just as much as the anticipation of doing these things is so grim we need to keep doing these things and I say this because I've let myself slip on some of them recently and I dread doing them and then when you do them you're like yep it's a proper self-compassion of like what will my future self thank me for just doing it even if I don't want to do it definitely those are definitely those things um okay let's get cracking Anna do you want to go first yes um fellow introverts Hello. <laughs> Hello, friends. How to balance connection with friends and energy recharging when a lot is being taken up at work in a week? Struggling to plan anything in advance, but I'm also conscious that I do need that connection too, as it's one of my values. I think you kind of just. <laughs> I think you kind of just need to know how much you can how much you can handle and make plans in accordance with that so I know that I I mean I know that I can handle blocks of more if I've got less going on or whatever but say in an average week I could probably I'd like to see two of my mates in an average week so I'll make two plans with two of my mates and then I'll stick to those plans and I won't make any more plans I think it's kind of just knowing yourself and saying like what do I need I know that on a Friday night I don't want to see anyone I'm always exhausted and I want to sit in and have pizza and watch tv so even if my friend was like oh if, if, if it was my friend that said look this is the only day I've got in a month to see you fine I'd sacrifice that but in general when I make plans I don't make plans on a Friday night because that's my time to recharge after a week of working with other people I need that time on my own so I think it's just about I honestly think it's about knowing this, what your limit is and then just planning in accordance with that and also being okay with saying like cancelling plans if you need to do that. I don't mean like last minute flaking, obviously, but if you've made a plan three weeks in advance, which I generally don't do because I don't know how I'm going to feel in three weeks, I like to make plans for that week. 
occasionally the week after if you know we're really pushing the boat out but if you like try not to make plans too far in advance because like you don't know you might be buzzing or you might just think I don't want to see anyone for ever more yeah I think if you can plan something on one of the days and it doesn't I think like you said you if work's really heavy then it doesn't have to be a whole morning or a whole afternoon it could just be an hour of coffee catch-up great equally does that connection need to be in person or would a phone call or just a whatsapp conversation be enough um just exploring what connection is like for you I agree okay georgia question thank you you're welcome. Um, <laughs> I'm going to start with the introduction that I put in the group the other day because it's part of this question and I think it's just really cute. Um, so one of my clients has said, I haven't realised where the podcast was, etc. Um, and what you did on it. So I looked it up and it's really, really helpful. I listened to the last two episodes. Um, is Amelia the Scottish accent? She sounds like Merida from Brave. Um, <laughs> she was so excited. She's like, she's basically a Disney hero, which I love. And then her question um, is a long one um so my question would be um i know i'm working on my relationship with food at the moment but can i do it at the same time as having a weight loss goal i'll leave it there and then do the other one on the next round because it's quite long okay it right it, it depends i'll give a bit of a brief overview of why it depends think about relationship with food as a spectrum so on one end you've got optimal relationship with food on the other end you've got clinical eating disorders and everyone especially within fitness and health falls within that spectrum everyone often moves up and down that spectrum a little bit some more extreme than others you can if you're say you're at a kind of the end of optimal relationship with food but a little bit further down right so you don't have the best relationship with food but you know a bit of education around food a bit of education around mindful eating a bit of education around emotional regulation can improve your relationship with food at the same time as you drop in body fat, even intentionally drop in body fat. That's if you're not, for example, regularly overeating, binge eating, or um, very preoccupied with food. But if you're just kind of like, you know what, a bit of education, a bit of habits and um, techniques to put into place would really help me, then you may well be able to actively drop body fat at the same time. You might also be someone who does regularly overeat, but even though you take the, the focus away from fat loss, when you put all of these processes in place, you still lose body fat because you're overeating less, therefore you're eating less. And so even though you don't have an intentional focus on weight loss, you might still find you drop body fat. But if you're further down the spectrum, and this is often what we see when people have been chronically dieting and have a quite a poor relationship with food where you are regularly overeating and you have good and bad foods and you feel a lot of guilt and shame around food and you can't eat out socially without overeating or even not even going out at all because you feel bad and then for a lot of people who are down at that end of the spectrum do require a bit more of a focus on removing the focus away from what your body looks like and removing the focus away from restriction for now focusing on learning to trust yourself a little bit better focusing on improving your self-compassion and mindfulness and maybe getting to grips with what hunger and fullness feel like to you and that has to be a focus because for people who are for example binge eating or overeating think about what happens when you diet one of the first things that happens is you get hungry and what's one of the main vulnerability factors to binge eating and overeating is hunger so you are never going to be able to move through that whilst you are still restricting but that doesn't mean that that's a forever thing. It just means that it's a short-term thing. I think relationship with food is so such a broad term. And people can say, I need to prove my relationship with food. I have this conversation with Emma sometimes because I believe that Emma's group training programs helps people improve their relationship with food to a certain degree. And some of them have great relationships with food. Most of them do. She teaches it. She teaches them in such a good, educated way that they do improve their relationship with food. But then sometimes some of those clients might come to me and come to our coaching team and say, I've done this, that was really great. I improved my relationship with food to this point. Actually, I want to do a little bit more. So we need to say, right, okay, let's take the fat loss focus away and let's do the other stuff. So it's just not like a, 
one size fits all this can work some people can do it some people are not in the right place to do it some people will do it there some people will do it later it's just not like a yes or no question like most of our questions I guess welcome to the gray <laughs> <laughs> exactly speaking of that I'm new to dye my hair never <laughs> get close never get close to the zoom screen I'm like whoop find me some color you see mine I actually started going gray at 27 and my sister did as well my mum did as well so yeah like I have to kind of I don't have to but I choose to um kind of do my roots every eight weeks or so otherwise it's very stripey and it's it's not even just like in my parting it doesn't matter where I put my hair now like it, it's everywhere so um yeah there's no, there's no real like way around that Anna you've got all this to come although you're gone so I feel like you, you don't see it so much not I'm that I'm also tempted to go back to the like grey that I did last year so I mean I might just stay in that indefinitely yeah just stay and then you'll be like 50 you'll be like nah my hair's always been this colour she's yeah. blonde and she she's blonde and she's got the same amount of gray as me but because because it's against blonde it actually looks like she's got platinum highlights and it looks amazing like she complains that it's gray and i'm like your hair looks awesome like you've oh, got the highlights for free <laughs> yeah <laughs> so it'll be good not that there's obviously anything wrong with gray hair we are obviously just victims of patriarchy but alas it's our personal preference and that's okay okay Becca's question. I find myself thinking about competing a bit. My friend is a bikini competitor and we speak about competing a lot. I'm still unsure if it's for me. I suppose my question is, how do you decide if it's for you? I don't want to test it just to potentially put myself at risk of something that may or may not even be there. I know a lot of coaches struggle with this and think with this, so I think it might be beneficial. Secondly, if you can thank Amelia and Anna particularly for the content this week, it actually opened my eyes to not having to be a perfect coach. So it's been really reassuring. So that's just a side note. I would say, listen to the podcast we did on it, on competing, because that will give you a very balanced view on competing as a whole. I was told to go to some shows, see what, get a feel for it, see what I think. But obviously the show day is the highlight and you are only seeing a few minutes of what could be potentially months and months of work for someone. Um, and obviously everybody's experience is going to be different, but I'd certainly speak to some more people, um, have a look at different federations as well, um, and get a feel for kind of what other competitors are like, what the federations, but no one can, tell you what to do yeah I'm a little bit more so more recently I've been a little bit more towards the edge of like advising people against it that's not that's not the stance that I've always taken but what can I say I'm 35 I want to have babies and I have worked with a lot of competitors and so it's coming from that lens and I think that's a really important to note that that's my lens and that's I try and step out of that as much as I can, but I'm pretty certain that 90, you can't go into competing. 90% of people go into competing and it negatively impacts the relationship with food. I would, I would say that's a fair statistic based on everyone I've worked with, based on myself, based on the research. That's kind of what I would say. So that's okay. If, and so I only stopped prepping people like I had clients who competed in 2021. I think it was 2021. And, but they've worked with me for years and years and years. They had done intuitive off seasons. We, I didn't take, I've not taken on prep clients for a long time personally, because 
because I don't really, I don't love it for people because I find it quite challenging personally to see the shift in relationships with food. And I'd say at least half of the girls that compete lose their period. And we know that up to six months of not having your period for some people can leave you with the bone mineral density of someone who's postmenopausal, which is terrifying. And you can't restore bone mineral density. Mm -hmm. And so in the past, I'd always say, I think like you said, all right, it's totally your choice. And we would never say do or do not do it ever. And you prep girls and like you do a great job of prepping girls still. And I just think, I think you have to go into it with your eyes wide open and you have to, when you make a decision to compete, you are saying, I'm choosing to risk my relationship with food. I'm choosing to impact my bone mineral density. I'm choosing to lose my period, which can have an impact on my cardiometabolic health, my cognitive function. And that's fine. That's totally fine because there's zero judgment from anyone. But, but when you are making that choice, you're making that, those choices as well to compete. And you have to think, what is the purpose? What's the driving force behind you competing? A lot of people compete as a means to find some sort of passion in their life. Like, is there anywhere else that you might find passion or to escape certain things that are going on in their life? Like, is there anything going on there? And a lot of people see the glorified image that like you said, Anna, like the show day. And it's great now because a lot of people are much more open about things that go on behind the scenes. And I think that's really, really, really helpful. But there's still a hell of a lot of um, dishonesty from even the most quote-unquote honest and relatable bikini athletes. There's still stuff that they're not telling you. And that's totally their prerogative. Again, no judgment. I'm sure when I competed, I was honest, but I didn't say everything that was going on in my life. There's no judgment there, but you only are getting what people want to show you. And there's stuff there that people don't want to show you. And, and there are struggles there that people don't want you to know about. Did you say this person was a coach as well in their question? I think potentially, yeah. Because I, I would also explore that a little bit more when you said like what's your motivation for it um so from personal experience like I when I first started out as a PT I worked in a gym where I was in the minority as someone who hadn't competed or wasn't planning on competing and all my colleagues were like oh yeah you should consider competing and you know it'd be great great for business and I was like oh maybe I maybe I would and I looked into working with a couple of coaches and for me early on I realized it, it wasn't for me because it wasn't great for my relationship with food I would cry at a lot of meal times because it was food I didn't want to eat um so obviously if you're going down that route find someone who can help you um still find enjoyment in your food choices and be kind of quite mindful of the decisions that you are making around food um but then equally and again I had a couple of unpleasant experiences like with a a prep coach the first time I met this coach um I drove all around to London to go meet her and um it was when I'd recently been diagnosed with PCOS and I wasn't in the leanest of bodies and I was feeling very self-conscious as somebody in the fitness industry and in the middle of the gym full of shredded bodybuilders she pulled my t-shirt right up to have a look she's like well let's see what we're looking with and kind of said okay yeah you know you look you look like you've got a strong core and I was like how can you tell how strong I am from looking at me um put me through a few exercises and I was just like for the rest of that session I remember feeling humiliated and really like I just wanted to put my clothes on and go home and from those experiences obviously they weren't nice experiences but I realized that actually being so focused on my body and so restrictive with the food that those were choices that didn't sit well with me at that point and then with the colleagues that I worked with who did compete what I noticed is that um the clients that I were getting I was getting were people that would say um I don't want to look like that woman or I don't want to look at that guy I don't want to be extreme I just want to feel fitter healthier stronger play with my kids and that actually for me potentially having gone down that route it would have put those kind of clients off of working with me on a one-on-one -on -one basis for other people they might be like great this person looks shredded that's what I want and I, I trust in that but then with those um, people that were kind of almost continuously on prep they were exhausted they were irritable. They didn't want to do sessions first thing in the morning when their clients wanted to train before work. They didn't want to do sessions 
late in the evening because they were exhausted when everyone's coming in after work and they actually want to train um, and they would drop down their working hours because they kind of needed to because it's quite a physical job and actually impacted their business potentially in a in a different way like that's not to say for all of them like one or two of them actually went on to run really really successful um like multinational companies where they they do prep people um and you know for them it was amazing but I think when you're a coach and you're considering it um just kind of coming back to Amelia's point be really careful about what it is that you want in your business the clients that you want to work with what you want to present to them and if your choices are being influenced by that or if actually it would benefit you and your clients and your business to maybe not take that that step and kind of and weigh it up as the pros and cons of um your coaching style as well yeah so true that I think most people that want to look like competitors are people are only other personal trainers or competitors and so if you don't want to be working with competitors most people don't want to look like that in general not because there's anything wrong with that that's not the goals of most people mm. totally agree okay Anna question um okay so this client has recently come off the pill and it's just asking managing your cycle when you come off any and all birth control um she, she started um using natural cycles and she says i'm very clearly out compared to what the app is saying yeah, that's super normal. And there's not really anything you can do other than give it time. So they class postpill amenorrhea as six months without a period. But that doesn't mean that like it can still be irregular up until that point. It can be irregular for even longer than that. There isn't really anything you can do other than give it time. And I know it can be a bit frustrating, but what's cool is that you're starting to learn. And over time, you'll see your cycles get more and more regular your variation so natural cycles will tell you your daily like your monthly variation of ovulation luteal phase follicular phase in total and you'll see them going down and so you'll see that things are going right but there really isn't anything that you unfortunately there really isn't anything you can do but that's also great because you can just relax and say look you've done the thing that you wanted to do which is come off the pill and now you can just relax focus on your health and know that it will get more regular did you guys see this I mean, this was this client came off the pill before this was going about. But I think it was a couple of weeks ago that there was a post. I mean, it was scaremongering pretty much, telling women to come off the pill and listing all the reasons why they should be coming off. Uh, did, you see, did you not see it? I didn't see it, no. Oh, it made it, I saw lots of shares. And I mean, obviously, if anyone has taken any form of birth control, we're, we're told about all the possible um, side effects from taking it. <laughs> but I read through and there was, like, there was nothing wrong as such in, in what they were saying, everything was factual. But yeah, it was, it was the fact that women should come off the pill, they should track their cycle, um, natural cycle, something similar will tell you um, when you're fertile, when you're not. Um, and then it finished and it was like, women come off the pill men tell your women to come off the pill I was like, as if we're gonna listen to anyone else it was awful absolutely can I, awful. can I ask who not who but like was it a doctor or was it a coach or was it an influencer or I mean they say they're a doctor but I mean I can say that I'm a doctor and I've never been to uni so oh gosh okay um no I didn't see it it's really frustrating because we all have our own personal opinions and thoughts and preferences for ourselves but we would never ever inflict them on other people because we've got what the science says and what the research says and telling it's still telling people what to do with their bodies at the end of the day imagine you've got someone that's on the pill because they have severe PMS and it's the only thing that stops them from like losing a week of their life every month and then they see a post that's like, these are all the reasons you shouldn't be on the pill. You're going to die from taking the pill. You should come off it. And it's like, really? That person should come off it? Like, it's just, it's so infuriating. I'm getting more and more riled at stuff like this at the moment. I've done a post, which I haven't posted yet. 
because I'm going to try and actually make a reel. But, um, <laughs> force <What? myself> <laughs> um, no, but I, I'm so getting so sick of influencers and people saying, don't trust your doctor. Your doctor will be crap. So there's no point in going to them. HA is a prime example. How many times have I spoken to people in my DMs and they say, well, I know my doctor won't listen to me. So I'm just not going to bother. And it's like, okay, but you could actually have a benign pituitary tumour. You could actually have lean PCOS. You could actually have something else that's going on with your hormones. But because an influencer has told you that their doctor was crap, because an influencer has told you that you've got HA, you are choosing you are choosing just to decide you've got HA. And I understand this frustration that doctors don't always understand. And I understand how difficult it is to self-advocate. But I'm getting so pissed off at people who are not qualified putting their own personal experiences and their own lens onto the advice that they give to people and then people taking this because this person's got half a million followers and they had a crap experience with the doctor that they just think they're bombarded with this message like your doctors don't know you know better we know better and often we do know better than our doctors to be fair about our bodies but it's up to us to self-advocate and have that conversation with our doctor not just decide this is what's going on. I don't need a blood test to confirm this is what it is. I just know. It's infuriating. And shocking that once again, someone somewhere is trying to control women's bodies and take that choice away from them. That, sorry, I'm really sorry, but that phrase is like ringing over my head. Men, tell your women. I know, honestly. honestly I'm shaking. Like, what, what, no, what, no. Surely, Aww. surely. I'm happy with that. Actually, I'm really happy with that as long as they are enforcing mandatory um, vasectomies for all males of a sexual active age. And it's only reversed as and when they choose with a partner to have children. Um, I feel that that would be much cheaper. It's one off, a one off quick in and out keyhole job done. You'll know that you've done it and we know if it's safe to sleep with you or not. Yeah, I am. Because I looked into this, there's some sort of loophole where they say, well, you can't, you can reverse it, but you can't then get it again or something like that. So it's taken away the opportunity then for men to get vasectomies when they've done having children, because once they've stopped it, then they could just keep having babies. I'm sure it was something like that, some sort of reason and why that shouldn't be a thing. But can you imagine, <laughs> can, can you imagine saying to, saying to like, Right, you're, you're turning 16 or 14 or whatever. This is mandatory. Absolutely no. Like, would never, it would never pass. But I agree that I would like that to be an option. It would certainly help out Texas right now. Just saying. <laughs> imagine. Oh, imagine they did that. Uh, okay, Georgia. Okay, so the second part of that question from earlier on, um, same clients. I know that whilst the relationship with food is really important, um, I feel as though I should be controlling my food intake um, or trying to diet to prevent overeating. I guess this is related to changing my mindset and learning those new habits, but I wish I could fast track and do it all at once. I mean, we all do. Um, why do some people find it easier to just diet and achieve a goal in Milan, whilst others find it so, so hard mentally and physically to choose dieting? Can I just say on the first, before we dig into it, once, this is more of a general thing, but once you start learning to enjoy the present day, learning to enjoy the process that you're in, your life gets infinitely easier. Wishing your life away, I, as much as I understand it, and I've been through horrible things in life and I'm like I wish it was just in a year when I didn't feel this way anymore or I didn't behave in this way anymore it's not helpful and all it does is make you more miserable about the choices that you're making the the process of coming home to yourself the process of becoming more intuitive and more mindful the process of improving your health is there to be enjoyed the process of saying I'm going to actively include this food into my diet every single day because and learn that I can just have it like there was somebody who um joined a coaching team last week and she said on Instagram I bought a cheesecake last week and this is the first time ever that I've given some cheesecake or put some cheesecake in the bin because I didn't inhale it like that's a win and we should be as much as it's not a win in the sense of fat loss why is fat loss 
why are you giving so much power to fat loss to determine your whole entire mood, your whole entire success story, your whole entire measure of progress? And it's not, again, this is not a specific person, but I see this quite a lot in general. It's like, and I've said this a lot recently, it's obviously at the forefront of my mind, but like, this is the one time that you have to live today. This is the one life. There's so much joy to be found. You're doing something incredibly hard for yourself. Working on your relationship with food, letting go of that need to control your body for now is incredibly hard. So take pride in that every single day and confirm and confirm to yourself every night, like I've done something really fudge and hard today that supports my relationship with food and it's very different to what I normally do rather than, oh, that's another day down. Like your mindset is so important when you come into this and, and I don't think we say that enough like we talk about changing the way you think about things but the way you approach this process if you approach it with I'm excited to learn more about myself I'm excited to challenge my old limit and beliefs I'm excited to challenge the values that I hold that have been put onto me to by society and I'm excited to figure out who I am think of the results you're going to get there versus I am dreading letting go of fat loss I'm dreading letting up letting go of this need for control I'm dreading what's going to come up when I'm not focused on food anymore you have a choice which way you want to approach it and one of them makes this whole process enjoyable and one of them makes this process a lot more difficult and it's up to you to choose and it's not easy but it's up to you to choose which way you come into it I was just going to share um I had a message from a client who used to be in a very similar headspace um and it, yeah she messaged me this morning one of those shower realizations and she did say I was thinking of you in the shower which Loki quite happy about I'm not gonna <laughs> lie <laughs> um but yeah similar similar mindset when we first began working together and she has put in a lot of work to get to where she is now and she said, since ditching the damn scales, I've become lighter. It's provided more room for me to grow mentally and physically and given me the space to see progress in other forms of such as strength, relationships, work, appreciation, and gosh, even yoga. So I think that's the thing, like you were saying, when you let go of the idea of fat loss needing to be a thing, it opens your eyes to so many other possibilities nothing to add guys that was beautiful <laughs> okay this is Steph's question sorry I'm just losing my, losing my world my world today of anything right okay I'm dealing with difficulties in getting steps getting in steps when I'm gaining weight and walking is becoming more and more uncomfortable I'm not like yet losing weight in the program um I'm not sure. That, okay, that's the end of that part of the question. So I'm going to do it in two. Okay, how to deal with difficulties in getting in steps when gaining weight and walking is becoming more comfortable? I think stop trying to look at steps as a way of losing weight to begin with, because then you end up pushing, putting pressure on yourself. We know that, yes, steps are great for fat loss. But if you're constantly, oh, I need to get steps in, I need to get steps in, then you just end up in a really negative mindset and negative way of thinking about them. Um, but there are lots of ways that you can get them in, um, like parking further away at the supermarket, choosing to take stairs. Um, I'm trying to think of other options, but I think like if you're in the office going to the furthest toilets, like simple little things yeah I think this is the point right it's less about I need to go out for a walk for an hour and more about I've got five minutes between meetings I'm just going to walk around the house or I'm just going to walk out like up and down the street get some fresh air refresh my brain get some steps and come back you doesn't have to be like this huge big long walk and I totally understand if you're super busy but I'm super busy and I'll still between meetings and I don't like I'm not doing it for fat loss, but I'm still between meetings, get up and walk around for a little bit because it just refreshes me and it gets me ready for the next meeting. It gets me present for the next meeting. So I think, I obviously personally don't know what that feels like to be uncomfortable 
what when I've gained weight and it's uncomfortable to walk I certainly know what like certainly know what it feels like to be uncomfortable walking because I've walked too much etc and and I've there's certain things that I can't do because of injuries and and things like that so I understand that it's frustrating but there are other options too like when you go to the gym can you go on the bike can you take like 15 minutes at the end of a session and do some cycling because I know that for this person fat loss is really important there are always ways about things there are always barriers to things always and it's just about reframing and saying okay well that's difficult for me to do what are my alternatives here and shorter walks getting a bike or going to the gym and going on the bike are probably good alternatives where you have the time and if you're already in the gym the gym for a session and doing like a post-workout 20 minutes on the bike is potentially a great idea second part of that question was lectin resistance how to deal with it if you do have it and I think this is off the back of me talking about honoring your hunger in one of the earlier episodes and um, one of the earlier podcast episodes and I think there isn't really anything you can do with it other than lose body fat and it is we think it is like reversible so everyone has every single person in the world has slightly genetic differences with regards to their ghrelin, like their hunger hormones, their leptin, their insulin sensitivity, their meat levels, that all impact energy balance and leptin resistance for people in larger bodies and also dysregulation of leptin and ghrelin when you're in a smaller body affect people. But But the only way to minimize that is by changing the levels of body fat that you have and changing your body composition now I know that I know the person who asked this question and fat loss hasn't been at the forefront because she's improving her relationship with food and I understand how bloody difficult it is when fat loss is going to be potentially helpful for your health but actively dieting leads to overeating that I think it deserves the most credit well lots of things that we do deserve a lot of credit that deserves a huge amount of credit because you know that losing body fat is going to be good for your health, but you have to take a step back and say, short term, this is going to help me lose body fat in the long term by suffering me from overeating and by like, helping my relationship with food first will allow me to then drop body fat. So we are certainly pro-dropping body fat if it's good for your health once you've restored your relationship with food. And I think that's always really important to reiterate. And that leptin resistance will attenuate over time as you lose body fat and you will consistently start to lose body fat when you because you've done your relationship with food a lot of a lot of work on your relationship with food so now you can start start making changes to your food choices to your steps to your walking to going on the bike that will help you lose body fat and over time will help with leptin resistance it's very easy and this is a conversation i had with someone else this is not about this client in particular but it's very very easy to fall into limiting beliefs and stories that we tell ourselves that stop us that make it harder for us I sent out an email to about 500 people today and said and offered free coaching advice and I've already had like 20 emails back saying um I this is just the way that I am or some of them have said something like I've got x y and z going on so it's just impossible for me and I fully recognize that there's certain things in life that are make things harder and Christ, like we've all got stuff going on that makes things really, really hard. But we have a choice whether we say, I'm going to fall victim to this or I'm going to recognize these are the things that go on. I'm going to prove that I can do it without, regardless. I'm going to prove to myself that these are just things that are going on. Like everyone has their own things going on, but I'm going to choose to empower myself to make these changes regardless. And I think. I think once you can make that switch, it's very, 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 very empowering. What do I have control over? What can I do? What choices can I make as opposed to what's stopping me from making progress in the way that I want to go? Agreed. I think the only thing that I would add to that, which is very comprehensive already, is like when you have done your relationship with food 
focus and you move into fat loss focus your mindset will have changed by then from like what do I have to do for fat loss or like what do I have to do for my health and that will switch to more like what do I get to do like I know it can't be perfect and if I could do x y and z that would be great but today I can just do x and that's what I'm going to include because I know that's great for me and I'm going to really be appreciative of it then maybe tomorrow and the day after I can't do either of those um, for whatever reason but on the weekend I can do Y and Z and that's going to feel great and you'll feel more comfortable with um, inconsistent uh, sorry consistent imperfect action <laughs> rather than inconsistently being perfect and then having times where it's fully on and fully off and I think that's probably one of the biggest um, realizations that comes from a lot of the clients that work in the team is that long term they can now handle this in a completely different way whereas maybe like six 12 months or two years prior to that they weren't yet in the mindset where they could kind of handle that that way absolutely and there's tons of science in that too you know I talk about that in EIQ or if I've not talked about it then it's definitely in the podcast where there's tons of science in this it says dieters or people looking to lose body fat were split into two groups for one study in particular and one group said like had a mindset of I'm choosing not to eat the cake because it doesn't align with my goals and one group was like um I'm not allowed to eat the cake because it's not on my diet and the people that accepted it as a choice lost significantly more weight and ate significantly fewer calories than the people that said it was a forced upon them or that they didn't have autonomy over it and we know that framing things as wants rather than needs I want to do this rather than I need to do this leads to significantly better outcomes and that's just a framing in your own head no one can do that for you no one can say like we let's one of our jobs as coaches right is to constantly reframe and we love doing it and we say that's like that's actually a big one and how cool is that that you get to make that choice that's one of like that we love to do that but when clients start to do that for themselves and go I realize I made a choice to do this because it was not because I couldn't eat it, but because I don't want it, because I want to stay on track with my goals. Like that is a big switch. And it's, I think we can all, it's the same as work, food, exercise, anything. I don't have to go to the gym. I, I want to go to the gym because it's good for my health. Simple, simple switch. I think that's such a good point, Georgia. Anna? Thoughts on the coil as opposed to progesterone tablets as part of HRT? currently on the tablet form but considering coil instead is that like so as part of hrt in terms of that would be the hormonal menopause. yeah i don't have any thoughts on it in the sense of it's just another way of providing hormonal contraceptives i think i think but i'm not sure the hormonal like the hormonal iud is more localized slightly less systemic impact but it still is relatively systemic, I think. Whereas obviously the oral contraceptive is more systemic, but I don't know the the like the relative ratios of that or like how different they are. Whatever feels right to you, I think great. I know lots of people that have great success with coils, both um, hormonal and non-hormonal. But I also know lots of people that have success with them um, oral contraceptives. So. I don't ha- I don't think there's a huge difference to be co- to be totally honest between them. George, have you got a question? I have. Um, I would love to hear the team's opinions about feelings of shame and guilt when asking for support when it comes to relationship with food, as this is something that has been on my mind a lot this week. I actually wrote my email on that weirdly this Saturday. So if you're not on my email list, well, it would have been last Saturday by the time this comes out. Weirdly. I'll let you go first, Anna. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think we spoke about this last week, didn't we? With asking or, or speaking about it with your partner. Um, because it's still a very, like, I want to say taboo topic in that, like, well, just talking about feelings in general, but talking about what you've got going on and and food relationship, like, it's still one of those things that people feel that they shouldn't talk about. But genuinely, I think it's one of those things that it's like the the classic, what's it, a problem shared is a problem halved. And 
then it's not like a the elephant in the room if you if people are aware of what you're going through then they're going to support you or they'll ask how to support you or simply say they don't understand please tell me more i think we're very much programmed to be look like we are got it all together as women we want to look like yeah i'm totally hashtag independent women i'm fine everything's fine it's so great so we feel embarrassed to need on top of that we feel embarrassed to ex to admit that we that we don't we think it looks like we don't have our shit together when really asking for help shows that you do have your shit together is the opposite of what we think and we're programmed to be so selfless that we put everyone else's needs before our own so we feel embarrassed that we are putting our needs first and all of this combined into like this little shit show of us not wanting to ask for help and us and it's also vulnerability we all know what vulnerability feels like and it feels horrible it feels like embarrassing it feels uh, you are every time you are vulnerable you risk failing you risk rejection you risk being someone someone showing you a side of them that you don't want to see like you risk being hurt so of course it feels horrible but it's part of the reason why we started this podcast talking about therapy like it's part of the reason why I'm super open and we're super open about these things because guess what we all ask for help from a therapist we all ask for help from Anna's got a coach for her training that's she's asking for help like we all ask for help because we are strong enough to know these this is what makes me my best self what do I need in order to support that there's absolutely no way that I could show up for my clients if I wasn't getting therapy when I needed it there's just no way there's absolutely no way that I could support my friends my family if I wasn't supporting myself and so I think even if you struggle to do it for yourself think well how how is this supporting me to help other people how is it shameful for you to get support so that you can be your best self for other people like that's that's pretty selfless to be that vulnerable to put yourself in a situation where like if you're in therapy like me I me and Mary cried for 40 minutes I don't want to be sat crying for 40 minutes it doesn't make me feel great but I'm just so hashtag selfless that I can now come on this podcast and be my best self because I've just done therapy so you know there's no shame in that if anything and I should get props for that and I think we're so again we're so tuned out of like giving ourselves props and we, it's much easier for us to go to guilt and shame and negative self-talk than it is to be like Oh my god I'm so proud of myself for doing that I'm doing a really good job by doing this thing and being my best self for other people that's not the easiest narrative to go to if you've come from a life of I'm, I'm going to be fine everything's fine I am so positive and any other negative aside from any other feeling aside from positive is negative and embarrassing and shameful that's the background that you've come from of course saying that you need support feels shameful but there's no shame in having the full spectrum of human emotions. That is the epitome of being a real human being and it's something to be proud of. That's why those like good vibes only posts really upset me because I'm just like, ah, oh, really? We don't have to be happy and positive all the time. We're allowed to like have times where we need more support. But I think something that I see, I'm sure it's kind of reflected with you, you two as well, um, across the team is that the initial few weeks or few months where people start working with this, there is a, a sense of sometimes some, some shame or some guilt around like asking for help. And um, some of my clients in particular will kind of martyr themselves to a point where it really impacts on their other relationships and how they feel about themselves. And then there'll be a check-in where something clicks and they'll be like, do you know, I actually asked my partner if they would do this for me today and they did it and it was amazing and I'm like oh right yeah so is it the first time you've asked and they're like yeah I'm gonna do it every week now it's great <laughs> and like once they start getting used to talking about things and asking for help and and asking questions and having those discussions with us around relationship with food and sometimes kind of outside of that as well I think it starts to carry over into other parts of life where it's like well of course this person's gonna pull their weight and they're gonna do this and we're gonna contribute to each other's lives in this way and asking for help doesn't become a, a sense of failure or oh I can't do it all by myself and I really should it becomes more of like this is going to help me do this better if this person can do this and I would of course help this person if they asked me so they start to see themselves 
I think more as an equal to others and less about having to just crack on and do everything themselves and people please. And I think you, I don't know, there's no like exact time frame, but I would just say, I think in the first kind of like couple of months that is quite a thick kind of um, theme for most of my clients. And then there's just a sudden shift where they, they ask someone one day and they say yes. And they're like, wow. <laughs> it's a revelation. Yeah. Yeah, love that. Uh, is it my question? Mm-hmm. Okay, let's do one last question. Okay, are there ways or tips to help learn to trust yourself in general? I've always struggled to learn to trust myself, especially with food, which is why I'm working on the relationship. But I feel I still don't have full trust of listening to my instincts. For example, when considering a new job after being settled and comfortable, how can I learn to accept? Sorry, how can I learn to listen to what I feel is right for me? Or is it a case of accepting the uncertainty and discomfort? Oh, what a, <laughs> what a question. Mm. I think it's one of those things that the more you do and kind of like, the more you lean into the discomfort and take those risks, the more you start to believe in yourself. Because as you said, we're human, we might fail at some things, but unless you try it, you're never going to know. And then you just get better and learn on the way. You're totally right. It's, about, it's saying I, I could be wrong here and, and saying I'm okay with making the wrong decision. Imagine what your life would be like if you said, I'm okay if I, if I balls this up. I'm, like realistically, I'm okay if I take the wrong job because I'll get another job. Or I'm okay if I eat something that I didn't mean to eat because or I didn't want to eat necessarily because it's, I can just move on from it. It's much easier to trust yourself when you accept it's totally okay to be wrong. I think um, we are so, I think that if you're somebody who's ever been in a relationship before, I don't mean necessarily romantic in any relationship where you've been gaslit and you've been um, made to feel like you can't trust yourself, trusting your gut instinct then, feels very counterintuitive and that's not necessarily this person but in general I know that for a long time I never trusted my gut instinct I'm too sciencey I'm too emotional because I'm a woman I've you know I'm too dramatic etc and I never trusted my gut instinct and I think that as women one of our strongest one of the best things about being a woman there are many but one of them is that we do have a really strong women's instinct and a gut instinct and I I don't, there is actually some science behind it and I don't know it enough to even go into it and it's a small amount. But we're so often belittled as if to be like, it's just a feeling that I have. Like we're so often belittled by that that we just don't trust it. We never trust it, but we have to learn to trust it. And even if it goes wrong, know that 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 decision, even if it came out different to what you planned, was still what was meant to happen in order to guide you into the right direction. So that might be going for a job that you, actually you hated but what that did is it got you out of the old job and then it opened up the opportunity for the next job that you get taking the what's the word taking the pressure off the outcome and saying okay whatever the outcome of the decision is that's the right decision because I know that I need to try this in order to fulfill this kind of feeling that I have and whatever comes out of it is the thing that's meant to come out of it so just kind of detaching from the outcome as much as you can Okay, let's stop there. That was great. What a great selection of questions. As always, we have many, many more. We will continue to get through them. And thanks so much, guys. Thanks. Bye. Bye.